Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of What's Next. I am your host, Tiffany Bova, and I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the show Lisa Bodell. Uh, this will be her second attendance to the What's Next podcast, and she is all about simplification and productivity. She is the founder and CEO of FutureThink, a company that uses simple techniques to help organizations embrace change and increase their capability for innovation. She's got two best-selling books, Kill the Company and Why Simple Wins, which we're going to talk about today. But Lisa, welcome back to the show. Tiffany, I love being here. Thank you. I know. I, I think you were like one of my first 10 guests. So it I feels was. like it has been too long. Oh, it's like getting the band back together. Are you kidding me? I remember that. I have to tell you because it was so long ago. And that was like, I was just starting out. You were just starting out. And we hit it off so well because we had such a similar mindset. So I'm thrilled to be back. Thank you. Well, we would not do this What's Next podcast without Bullish or Bearish. Ah. Bullish, okay. you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. Nothing too painful. Are you ready? Okay. I, I am, I think. Let's do All it. All right. First one, Bullish or Bearish. GPT written books. Ooh, mm, bearish. All right, that's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with that too. I think I think we have a bit to go. All right, the next one, flying cars. Bullish <laughs> or bearish? I'm I'm bearish. There's too many idiots that are gonna drive those things. I'm saying no. Okay, <laughs> let's go with a resounding no. All right, the next one, staying at an underwater hotel. Oh, I'm totally bullish on that. Love I am it. completely bullish. Aren't you? What do you think? I don't know. You know, it, it, the view would be amazing. Yeah. I, Getting there might be a little tough. I like Dubai, Maldives. So my, my dirty little secret is my goal is to do 193. I want to go to every country in the world. And the more adventurous, the better. So whenever I've checked out, you know, going back to Dubai or the Maldives and they have the underwater hotels. I'm looking for something different. That is completely my jam. I love it. All right. Well, good to know. So if, if you know, if any of you know of any underwater hotels, send it, on. Send it Lisa's way. All right. Well, cool. since the last time we spoke, so many things have happened, mm -hmm. right? Pandemic, out of the pandemic, changing the employer employee relationship, hybrid work, getting everyone back to the office, unionization at companies for disgruntled employees, like just lots has happened. <laughs> but one thing remains constant, I feel like, and it's the conversation around productivity. Yeah, completely. Everyone's talking about, in fact, it got even worse or for me better after COVID, right? Because it forced us finally to challenge the way that we work, the work that we do, and frankly, how we spend our time, right? Everyone realized during COVID, oh my God, I waste so much time personally and professionally. So I think that was kind of an uprising and a pushback for people because they were pissed. They didn't want to have their time wasted anymore. And employers realized too, huh, wow, we can change things and make them more streamlined. We can do these things different ways because they were forced to. So yeah, completely got people talking about productivity again. I, you know, I see two sides to that story. I've mm -hmm. read a ton of information, reports, research saying people are more productive mm -hmm. working from home or just working remote, let's say. I've seen the same amount almost. No, no, no. They're more productive working in an office, right? Mm -hmm. Or a more structured environment. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you reconcile those two things? 
you know, I, I think about that a lot because I'm someone who is very productive on my own. Like I'm, I can do very well at home because I'm very task oriented and I can just get things done. I can see for some people that are more, I guess I'll say for a better words, social, collaborative, et cetera, and their work is that way, that it is unproductive for them to be solely at home. So to me, it might boil down to what type of work. So people that have specific projects or programs that they can just do and simply manage timelines and tasks on Zoom. I think you can work from home. There's no value add bringing people in to an office, but things that are more collaborative, creative, et cetera, might be better done, right? Where you have to kind of create together in an office. To me, it's less about, I guess, where people were unproductive, right? Is that all of a sudden we were meeting so much. We were just, we're on all the time and we don't necessarily need to. Like meetings are just fillers to get together and communicate. So the focus, I think, should be on unproductive work or unnecessary work, not just work as a whole. You have to kind of categorize things. There's a lot of unnecessary work, and that's what we have to get rid of. Well, you know, I think that there are challenges when you have groups of individuals who have to be in the office, right? So then is it fair for them, like, they have to be in the office for whatever reason, right? They could be the IT team. They could be the legal team. They could, you know, whatever the reason might be. And then you might have some groups or teams that can work remote. And so I've seen this kind of creation of these arrangements where, okay, maybe, you know, one week a month or maybe two days a week or something where you get everybody together because even though you may be task oriented, you know, I've worked from home now uh, for se over 17 years, literally, like I've not had an office desk in that long. Mm -hmm. And I'm like you very task oriented. I'm very productive. I'm more productive actually on an airplane than <laughs> I am almost anywhere uh, because I'm, there's no distraction, no distraction. No one needs me. I know. Yes. But I also miss the human interaction. So when I would go into the office, like I would feel like, oh, I just want to like see people and you get these quick, you know, half hour meeting whiteboard that you can't really rep, I feel you can't replicate. And so that productivity gets lost. Yeah. So like productivity as it relates to what works. So to me, it's this whole fit for purpose, right? I think there's a lot of things that you can do well on your own, like the task oriented work, but the more collaborative work, you need to build that in. And so, for example, I, I get there's, again, fit for purpose. There's some resentment at some companies. Let's use pharmaceutical companies as an example, that the R&D people by nature need to be in the lab. It has to be physically present work. And then there's other people that don't need to be there. Like procurement can probably work at home. So there's some resentment there, but it's necessary for the work that some people are in and some people aren't. I think for companies that are trying to figure out like, you know, do you come in 12 days a month or once a quarter, again, fit for purpose. So for me and my company, because we do right consulting and training, et cetera, we get together physically in person every quarter because we are on the road a lot. When we come together in person for a week as a company, it is awesome because people are jazzed to be together, right? And just kind of have that physical, that social lubricant, as they say, everyone getting together and being personal, but also just being able to rip and build ideas. So there's an energy and an anticipation around being together for a specific amount of time because it has a purpose versus I think the resentment a lot of people have, Tiffany, like, you know, I'm in New York and a lot of the banks are just telling people to come in, but they're not understanding why. Like, what am I getting out of being together when everyone's head down 
that I could not be doing at home. And that's where I think a lot of people get resentment is if it's not fit for purpose, I don't think I should have to come in. Well, so now if people are listening and they're individual contributors, you know, that's one thing. If they're managers, leaders, mm-hmm. and they're navigating this, you know, what's what's the way forward? Where have you seen companies do it incorrectly, if you will, that kind of backfires course correct and finally find their way to some sense of agreement between employer employee that has worked effectively? First of all, it's defining meaningful work. So I think as teams, they before you start saying what they need to do or not do, like define what is the meaningful work where we need to be spending most of our time. And is that stuff that we can be doing in person or remotely? For companies that do it wrong, I think it's when they just tell people carte blanche, we need you physically in the office, but they're not saying why. Everyone needs to be in the office. And people are saying, but my my role doesn't necessitate that. So banks right now, I'm speaking here in New York, they're getting a lot of backlash. They're actually using it as a way to weed out people, right? It's It's an attrition tool. Companies that I think are giving it right are having managers make the decision on the manager or team level because it's fit for purpose based on the work people are doing. So is that true for everybody? No, but I think on a whole, that's probably a good litmus test. So rather than having it be carte blanche across the company, I think having it at the manager level and letting them decide based on the work. That's what I would say. Well, great advice. You know, who knows where this will all land, but every day in the news, there's a story of somebody saying, the CEO going, listen, if you're not here, this is not a negotiable comment, right? Like if you're not here two or three days a week, you should start looking for other places to work. I get it. I mean, I know we just saw this announcement yesterday from some of the banks. We saw it from Amazon. We've seen it from so many different people. My thing is more about, you know, having people pay more attention to, I think culture is the work you do every day. And the reason people are getting disgruntled is because their their time is being wasted doing work that isn't necessary. So, if uh, you know, my job is to help managers really look at how are people using their time? Are they spending time, like doing crap, or are they investing their time? And there's a big difference, right? I think most people are just, they're executing their calendars. They are just, anything that's on their calendar, as soon as they get it done, they feel like that's a task. And, uh, you know, I must be valuable. I must be important because I did something on my calendar. Well, I don't know. Should it have been on your calendar in the first place? So I think a lot of things as, as a manager, really looking at people's time and how they're spending it so they can better get it back. I'm seeing a big thing at companies, Tiffany, actually, is time boxing is really becoming a big deal. So for example, at my company, when I do kickoff calls, I tell my team, I will only do kickoff calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays because I can't keep contact switching all the time. We do not have meetings on Fridays because Fridays for us are finished days. So there's lots of ways that you can actually time box your time so you can focus on valuable work and you can get the other stuff that's more tactical, I guess, done in more productive ways. So I think I think whether you're in person or remote, that's one conversation. But the other thing is, no matter where you are, are you spending it on things that matter? That's the bigger conversation to me. And I'm going to pivot a little bit because I think underlying a lot of the conversations of late, not using your term, but I'm going to in this case, right? It's just this why simple wins, right? The simplicity of it all. As you know, you read my book, The Experience Mindset. One of the things that we found in the research um, and that I heard pretty consistently was these cobwebs of processes, this complexity that was this crisis of prioritization and this complexity that just means that productivity is impacted because 
I'm having to do 10 steps where it should really be two. Right. And leaders aren't taking the time to actually say, hold on. Simple doesn't mean keep it simple, stupid, the KISS method, right? Isn't that it is unnecessary or rudimentary. It's that I just want it to be value-based. And why can't I let technology pull some of that complexity off my plate? So I think there's a big myth when people think of simplicity is they think just because it's organized, it's simplified. And that's why people think, well, let's just create a process for this and then it'll be simplified. And a lot of times the processes, they suck. So, you know, organized does not mean simplified. And I think I'll tell you one pharmaceutical company we worked with, they tried to organize how people do meetings and they created a 20 page handbook for people on meetings. Boom, organized exactly the point, which is, you've got to be kidding me. So yeah, it can be a process, but sometimes it just has to be guidelines. Like what are the guidelines or the standards that you're going to set up for people versus the 12 step process? So, uh, you know, a few things we always recommend to people is define what meaningful work is rather than organizing something, pick out the things that are valuable versus not valuable and then see what's left. There's lots of different ways that you can do this kind of stuff. But finding out what's valuable and not valuable. So I'm going to give you an example. So I had a client say to me a few months back that for a client to do a return from a product that they had purchased from them mm-hmm. took 20 minutes for the call center agent to process the return. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes. I would say that was a unproductive 20 minutes, right? I mean, sure. and then I would say probably a complex process, not a simple process. Is it the process? Is it the technology? Is it the tools? Did the person not trained? Did they not have access to information? Were they not given authority to do that return because it was a certain dollar amount? Like there's lots of things that went into that, right? So you would have to almost process map that or, and then use the design thinking lens and be like, okay, hold on a second. Like Mm -hmm. what's, what's valuable and not valuable? Well, everything's necessary but what's required for a human. And I'm saying everything's necessary, meaning like, well, you have to enter, have to enter the customer information, the shipping address, you know, the credit card information, like that kind of stuff is necessary, let's say, whether the human does it or the system does it. Well, I like that you talked about the design thinking. Like typically, if we're talking about processes, I'll talk about how much of a role processes play in complexity for people. And it's not as much as you think versus daily work. With processes, you know, the the best thing is breaking it down into parts because then people can manage it. And then once you break it down into parts, it's what can we eliminate? And then what's left, what can we streamline? So one of the first things we force people to do is look at what can we get rid of? Because most people always assume they can't get rid of anything. So that's a really good visioning technique for people. They break it into parts and what can we get rid of and what would those processes look like? What's ever left, then let's streamline it or even outsource it. I think what's interesting to me, just to kind of pivot from processes a little bit, is when you ask people what is so complex, they will talk about at work, they'll say processes, they'll say regulation, they'll say all these kinds of things. But then when you ask them what do they spend their day doing, it's meetings and emails. And so there are some really basic tactical things that suck up people's time and take them away from tackling the bigger projects. So I think there's a lot more low-hanging fruit for people that's not that complex that they can get time back to focus on some of these bigger processes, et cetera. Like if you could just actually have people do meeting audits, this is so stupid, Tiffany, but it's so true. 
and you audit every single meeting that you have during a year, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever, and you actually look at each one and say, can we get rid of it? Can we change the frequency? Can we change the length? Can we get rid of some of the people? You would be amazed at how much time you can get back just by that simple exercise. So I think there's a lot of things that people listening can do when they look at their own daily work to re-envision their day. I agree with everything you just said. I think there's one caveat, at least in my mind, you know, maybe not just one, but the one that popped up to me um, mm-hmm. as you were saying that is customer facing employees mm. is a very different, it isn't meeting an email. That's exactly right. Right. Because if it's a sales rep, those meetings, you can't get rid of them, right? They're customer facing meetings sort of a thing. Email sort of same thing. If you're in the call center, you're constantly like your job is to respond to emails. You know, if you're in service in the field, right, that is quote unquote, if you will, meetings. So I think there is a delineation between where you're in the sort of back office organizational cogs, right? And then you're, you're actually customer facing, which by the way, you know, in my mind that they are the the customer facing employees are the keepers of the brand promise, right? Who, whatever the brand promise is. And so if I'm just that 20 minute call center return conversation, I'm trapped by the process. That's I'm- exactly right. So that so that's a really good delineation. So to me, some of these things that are more internally focused, that's where you're talking about the work of work. Externally focused, where that's kind of out of your sphere of control, that is more process. And frankly, that's where the time boxing comes in. Because I think what a lot of people do is they just give away their time. They don't know, they've not defined what they will say yes to and what they will say no to. That is a really good exercise in itself, which is how do you use your time with intent? And most of us go through life with no intent. We just kind of spend our time and spend, not invest. We give it away and it's a non-renewable resource. So it's really interesting if you had to say, what are the things that I will say yes to? And what are the things that I'll say no to? I think a lot of people have never thought about the difference between those two, because they tend to say yes to a lot of things out of guilt, out of obligation, out of pressure, and they feel badly putting boundaries around their time. And with so many people context switching now, they are so drowning in the tasks that they can't get to the strategic work. So you're not going to grow if all you're doing is responding. I read something the other day on context switching that it was, you know, the milliseconds that add up for humans to Let's just say you're going from one application to another application to another application, right? If you added those, that millisecond, although your eyes are seeing I'm in a different, you know, application, it takes your brain a second to sort of catch up. That over the course of the week, it's almost four hours of wasted time in context Mm -hmm. switching. So, you know, when you think about all the, you know, productivity conversations that you're having with your people, like we need more out of our people, yet you're asking them to do all these things that context switches them all day long, they're unproductive naturally by the nature of what they have to do. Because they're executing their calendar. And so one of the things that we talk about, like, you know, the the famous Johnny Ivey quote, he said that Steve Jobs always asked him, what did you say no to today? And I really like that because people think their worth is about what did they do, what they say yes to. And we're not used to saying no to things so we can just focus on the most valuable. So I do think it is important for people to define, you know, it's your time. You only have so much time to make your goals. What are you going to start saying no to? Or another good phrase that people should think about for efficiency is yes, if. And we don't use that enough. So like, yes, I'll be able to do this if you can reprioritize. Yes, I'll be able to do this if I don't have to do this other thing. So 
we are context switching too much and we are saying yes to things that are not valuable. So spending more of the time defining that work and actually defining what we want to say yes and no to with our time and time boxing can be a big thing for people. And when you work with organizations, what are the sort of top one or two things that companies are trying to solve for right now? Like if you just were to say, listen, it doesn't matter what industry, what part of the world, you know, it's pretty consistently these one, two or three things. Well, it's, it's meetings, emails, and changing priorities. I mean, the thing that people, not leaders, complain about is, you know, I, I'd love to be able to make my goals, but I'm very productive if my to-do list didn't keep changing all the time. You know, they're constantly this context switching thing. So I, I think that for people, they would like to be able to not have so many dueling priorities. That's a big one. And I think from a leadership perspective, they want people to meet their goals faster. That's the big one. So if you want people to, you, you've got to help them set priorities and you've got to get rid of the things that are holding them back from doing the work they were hired to do in the first place. So, I mean, again, I think it's really interesting how much daily stuff that adds up that if you allowed people to better manage their time or gave them tips, it would be helpful. You know, we're seeing a lot with people this kind of say no thing. We actually recommend to companies building into strategic planning and then into daily work, this concept of stop it. So for example, at Sanofi and some other groups, when you do strategic planning, the exercise is typically, tell me all the things you're going to do next year, right? All the initiatives you're going to have. But do you ask teams to tell you what they're going to stop doing? And so building into strategic planning, like at Santa Fe and other places, they actually mandate that people as part of their presentations commit to what they are going to eliminate and stop doing next year. And what's great about that is it sets the tone and the mandate that we expect you to question how you work on an ongoing basis. And they reward people for it too. So people are not just rewarded for all they do, but all that they stop doing that's not worth it. And I think that's a really cool thing for companies to get as part of their culture. Well, what a great way to wrap this up. So, so many <laughs> amazing nuggets of advice, but I would say the stop it is a great one because I, of all the meetings I've ever been in, I've never seen anyone show a slide of here are the things I'm going to not do next year, or we're going to eliminate, or we you know, are now going to fold into this or reimagine or, and I say this often if you're having a team meeting, instead of going around and going, okay, what's working? What's the win of the week? Let's all celebrate. Then everyone go around and go, what's not working? And what did you fail at this week? And then celebrate that as well, because then people can learn from those things. You know how I said we, we get together every quarter as a team. Every quarter, my team does kill a stupid rule, and, which is like one of our signature things. And then we get together and everyone has to say all the rules and processes and ways that we work that are totally stupid. And the way we know it's working, by the way, is every quarter it gets harder and harder to come up with things, which is great. But I'm always surprised at how everyone comes up with brand new things that, you know, complexity is like a weed. It grows back. And they come up with more and more things that we have to change, and we change it on the spot. And it's a huge, huge thing for people because they get to say what they want to stop doing. It's a good morale booster for people. So I recommend it. Give it a shot. Well, Lisa, thank you for coming back on to What's thank Next you. for a second time. How thank can you. people keep in touch with you and your work? I know you have a ton of resources online, so tell people how they can get access to that. Great. Well, actually, go to futurethink.com, which is our company, FutureThink, 
and you'll be able to actually get free resources there on the website. Take them, use them. I hope that they help. Reach out to me on LinkedIn too, at Lisa Bodell. I would love to see everybody. Tiffany, you're great. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today with Lisa Bodell. My name is Tiffany Bova. Don't forget to subscribe, leave some feedback, share with your friends, and I appreciate you spending time with us here today. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Bye-bye.